Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, stock valuation. We are coming to the end of our happy time together. Won't be too much longer. There will be a quiz on uh, Wednesday, a surprise quiz. Make sure that you have that template for the bond yields and prices. It will be priceless for you to have that. It will help you on the quiz uh, if you have those templates. And remember, uh, just make sure that you know how to use them, of course. And then there will be uh, a few questions on risk and return. Nothing too heavy, but I imagine that you'll be expected to know how to use the capital asset pricing model at a minimum. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, one thing. I am working. I'm almost finished. Uh, your podcasts are on my website. They're on Apple. They are now also on YouTube. What I'm working on now is to get a transcript of every lecture so it's written as well as broadcast for those who would prefer it or need it that way. And that will be coming up. I'm hoping that YouTube will be able to do it, but if they don't, I'm using RSS. I just got my subscription upgraded so I can do transcripts on there. So those are uh, new ways that you can uh, relive the dream of having a lecture with, uh, from me every night when you're at home and you don't have anything more important to do. Moving on from that, lol, we'll have a look at the markets here just briefly. We have, uh, it was actually not a terrible day. The Dow was down just a little bit. Time isn't over yet. It's about an hour left on the uh, clock. But um, the uh, Dow was, is down, but not much. It's hardly even noticeable, 0.09%. S&P 500 is up more than a third of a percent. And of course, not surprisingly, the NASDAQ will be up more and it's up uh, almost 0.9%. So it's sort of a bull day, but it's not a, a, not a uh, pure bull day. Now going over very quickly, crude is taking a dive. As I had said, its trading range is 82 to 88. It briefly punched over it, but it failed to hold it. And it dropped back through, as you recall, last week it was just about 88. And now it's down more into the middle of that trading range in the, at about 85 and three quarters. So it crude is staying in a nice band, fairly stable, nothing really to worry about, not even much of a war premium on it. So that's kind of an indication that the uh, uh, folks who make this their living uh, on the supply and, de supply and demand for oil they're not really worried about an expanding war in the Middle East. Right now, there's no spike in the price of oil, which there would be if there were 
true concerns in the market for uh, a major conflict. Gold is down. Good news again. It's uh, backing off from its resistance level at $2,000 per ounce. Silver the same. Now the euro and the pound are both up appreciating. But now the bonds. Bond yields are down. That means bond prices are up. The prices are up. That means that there's demand for bonds. They're using money. Uh, investors are getting money and buying bonds, pushing their price up, and that's why those yields, that yield is dropping there. Now, if you go over here, there is money being put, not much, but money's being put into the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, so it's not really a flight to quality. The bond prices going up. Uh, it doesn't seem like. Very quickly, let me look at S&P 500 volume. Yeah, volume is just the way it's been for weeks and we Well, it's been that way for months. That the volume, notice that it is, we've got an hour left and it's about 1.6 billion against the typical day over the last year, which was well more than double that at 3.8 billion. So there is still a lot of caution. Uh, major money is staying on the sidelines, still waiting for, I don't know what they're waiting for, if they're waiting for a sign from the heavens or what, but they're still not really putting a lot of money in yet right now. And all of the uh, messages I was getting later late last week about how the world's about to end, the market's about to crash, eh, it didn't, it didn't amount to anything. You're still seeing those kinds of naysaying articles in on the major news networks. It's almost time. It's right here. The, the stock market's going to crash, and it's just not doing cooperating with them on that. Now, just really quickly looking over here, the Nikkei was down, not a huge amount, down 0.83% last night, and then... This early this morning when London woke up, it was in a bad mood. It was pretty choppy there for a while, and by the end, it looks like there was some effort to try to recover to at least where they started the day, but it still failed. The Dow, uh, the FTSC 100 was still down about a third of a percent for the day in London. And just real quick, going over here, you can see that our day actually started out grouchy. See that red there at the beginning when the bell opened? But oh, through the day, the markets, at least uh, the 500 and the NASDAQ, just crawled up slowly through the day. It wasn't spectacular, but a bull day is a bull day. So there you go. Hard to call it from there. But as far as stocks are concerned, I'm just curious. Netflix had a NFLX. It's still going up, for God's sake. I, I don't know. Are you guys watching too much Netflix and chilling? I, it just keeps going up. And I'm, I can't even... I mean, there's not enough excuse. Well, they got more subscriptions. Yeah, they just found some people living on an island in the Pacific. Good for them. 
But of course, they are charging more now. They're starting to hit hard with their subscription rates. That increases revenue, and they're betting that people won't give up their Netflix uh, for something else, uh, which a lot of people probably won't. They've, they're hooked on Netflix. They've got series that they're watching on Netflix. They can't just quit Netflix, or they give up all those TV series that they're uh, watching. So Netflix kind of has people in a bind there. They kind of have to eat whatever Netflix wants them to do. Looking around the market here and there, just to see Tesla and its continuing scam. Yep, it's up for the day. As you can notice, as you notice, the major stocks are having a, oops, let me try that again, AAPL. Yeah, they're all doing pretty well. I mean, it's just one of those days where uh, it's not a huge update. You can see those percentages aren't aren't earth shattering, but it's a it's a good decent day. Hard to tell if there's a, if there's a black swan coming. You couldn't tell it from where things are uh, what things are doing right now. So there you are. Few last words on the capital asset pricing model, uh, and then I'll go on to stock valuation. Let me write this down here for you again. The capital asset pricing model is a very simple model. All it says is the expected return to a stock or to a portfolio of stocks would be the risk-free rate plus the beta of the stock times the expected return to the market portfolio minus the risk-free rate. And this is a way that you can find that discount rate. You, you can find a lot of things. You can use that to assess where, what you expect a stock to uh, do over the next year. It's also a way that you can calculate a discount rate for, to find present values or a compounding rate for future values. It has all kinds of uses, and we do use it. It's sort of one of those programs, a little app that you could make as an Excel sheet, and I will try to get that done. Um, some kind of a sheet that will help with uh, CAPM and also do some something with stock valuations, but that's a little trickier, and I've got to think about that a little bit. You'll see why in a, a little while. But that's the capital asset pricing model. It's graph is the horizontal axis is beta, and the vertical axis is the expected return to a stock. And there are a couple of points we know on it. A beta of 0, 0.0 is going to return you the risk-free rate, whatever it is, when your T-bill rate, something like that. And a beta of 1, 1 1.00, would return you would be the expected return to the market portfolio. Market portfolio. Like that. And those two points on the line allow us to draw a securities market line. SML. Securities market line. Two points form a line. So as those 
change, the risk-free rate changes, or the expected return to the market changes, that would move the line around. A couple of important ones to keep in mind for a quiz or for an exam. Let's try something here. Um, I don't know. Let's say that the expected return to the market is, let's say, 10%, and the risk-free rate is, let's say, 2%. I could draw a specific securities market line, expected return to a stock. So, in other words, if I did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen percent. And down here, let's say point one, point two, point three, point four, point five, point six, point seven, point eight, point nine, one point zero, one point one, one point two, one point four, one point five. then the securities market line would have its y-intercept here at 2%. That would be R sub F. And beta of 1.0 would be the market portfolio, 1. So the specific line, and I always forget to bring in my yardstick when I do this, would look like that. That would be the securities market line for that specific combination of risk-free rate and expected return to the market. It's kind of a bent line. It's supposed to be a straight line there. Let's try that again. There we go. A little better. A little better. So now, you can look through scenarios. So in other words, let's say we had a beta with a stock with a beta of 0.5. That would be one, two, three, four, five. So its expected return would be about six percent. You can track, just use, you can use the cap M to do it, obviously, but you could also use the line, the graphical. In other words, expected return to a stock with a beta of 0.5 would be equal to 2% um, plus beta 0.5 times 10% minus 2%. So mathematically, it would come out to be 2% plus 0.5% times the market premium of 8% over risk-free, 8%, 2% 2 uh, 4%. Yep. I drew that line better than I thought I did. 
the, the, the graph is just showing you what the, what the equation, you can get it from the equation, but the graph, if you do it well, you can track it that way too. That's all that, that's basically what the line is showing you. The line has a little more uh, ability to show you insights though. What would happen, for example, if the risk-free rate went up, but the expected return to the market didn't change? Suppose the, a scenario where the risk-free rate goes up, but the expected return to the market stays the same. Well, if you look at it graphically, what that would mean is that the 1.00 beta would still stay on the expected market uh, on the same point. It would be the risk-free rate that would go up. Let's say it goes up to 4%. Well, what that would mean is that the securities market line would pivot. It would swing. So that would mean the stocks with low betas would get higher returns, expected returns, and stocks with low beta, high betas would get lower expected returns. Let me say that again. If I said the risk-free rate goes up, but the expected return to the market portfolio stays the same, that means at this point, the 1.00 beta expected return to the market would stay at 10% in this case. But the risk-free rate going up would mean that this point on the line would rise, so it would have to go there to there and on beyond. Well, if I look at those blue, that blue line now, a stock with a beta of 0.5 would actually have a higher return. But a stock with a beta of, let's say, 1.5, which used to have a return up there, now has a return down here. So raising the risk-free rate, but the expected return to the market stays the same, would cause less risky stocks, safer stocks, to become to have higher expected returns, and would expect stocks that are risky to start having lower expected returns, which we see sometimes. Now another scenario, and I'll just quickly sketch this one out. Beta. Here's the 1.00 place. Here's the expected return to the market. Right there. The risk-free rates right there are sub F. So the original line, the original securities market line would look like that. What would happen if expected inflation went up? What would that cause? What would that do? Suppose that the expected inflation premium goes up. Well, remember that the risk-free rate 
is the real rate of return plus expected inflation premium. So that would mean that expected inflation goes up. So the risk-free rate would go up as well, would increase. But in the capital asset pricing model, the risk-free rate is right there. So you'd be subtracting a bigger number. So beta, so that would make the market, the expected uh, the market premium to go down. It would cause the market portfolio return to increase by the inflation rate, by the expected inflation rate. So what would happen if expected inflation goes up, that would cause the entire securities market line to parallel transport up. It would just slide up. So a stock that had a beta originally of 0.5, let's say 0.5, would be there. Now, that same stock will have a higher return. High risk stocks that had a return, expected return there, will now have a higher expected return. Kind of makes sense. Expected inflation is going to mean that it uh, returns on stocks are going to have to go up to compensate for the expected inflation. Put another way, high expected inflation should actually cause stock prices to rise. We hope, we would think, you would have more up momentum on stock prices. Is that what's happening now? In other words, we have expected inflation is beginning to soften out of the economy. So that is probably going to cause ultimately expected returns to stock to not be quite as good as they were. Hence these days when you have either a little bit down or a little bit up instead of those dramatic jumps that we had last year. It's not going to be there because it's just that the expected inflation premium is slipping away. So that's going to eventually cause that line to slide the other way because if it goes that way when expected inflation goes up, it's going to go that way when expected inflation goes down. Kind of have to think about it for a while. Look at that graph a couple of times. But that's sort of the story of the capital asset pricing model and what, and what we use it for. And I'll bring it up again. I mean, we use it in a lot of ways. And in fact, I'm going to mention it even by the end of today or Wednesday. But now, stock valuation. I'll start you out with a problem. And I think I'll probably actually execute the problem in Excel. The problem, well, 
you'll see the problem using Excel. You can use it, but you can't really make a template per, for it. And you'll see why I'm at. You buy one share of JTV common. It will pay, this is the most unrealistic one, it will pay a dividend in one year of $2.15 and a dividend at the end of the second year of $2.30 and a dividend at the end of year three of $2.20 and after you have collected that dividend You expect the expect to sell the stock for eighteen dollars and fifty cents. Right after you get your dividend, you sell it. You want to get your dividend, and then you get rid of it. You expect to do that for eighteen fifty. If you discount the cash, these cash flows at six percent, no, let's say eight point six percent, what is the current price of the stock. I'll let you catch up and get that written down here, and then I'll go on. Good heavens, my it was writing slanting up. You see that? I don't do that. And then I did it there.
I think that's supposed to mean you've got a mental problem. Well, duh. <laughs> I'm going to draw a little timeline here. And if you think that that's a sign that you don't want to do that because you'll be sophisticated, I do it to this day. It, for these dividend, we're valuing stock. And the way we do it is by what's it going to give us in the future? Well, it'll give you a dividend. And then when you dump it, you'll get cash money. So at year one, we're going to get a $2.15 dividend right there on year one on the timeline. At year two, I'm going to get a $2.30 dividend right there on the timeline at year two. Now in year three, I'm going to get a $2.20 dividend and I'm going to get the proceeds from dumping that dog of a stock. And then there is no year four. It's over. So for my valuation purposes, there is the necessary ingredients for finding the value. So I have to find the present value of the $2.15 discounted back at 8.6% for one year, the $2.30 discounted back two years at 8.6%, and then the $2.20 plus the $18.50 discounted back three years at 8.6%. That will tell me what that stock should be worth right now based upon what is going to be provided in terms of cash in the future for me from that thing. Now what I'm going to do is bring up an Excel spreadsheet here. I'm going to make it bigger. Okay. Here, dividend, dividend, and sell price. And then just fill in for year one, two, three, dividend of, what was that, $2.15. And then $2.30. And then $2.20. Try that again. $2.20. And then that sell price there of, at year three that'll be column C, I'll put that in, of $18.50. There you go. So now, 
what I can do is price P0, I'll make that a little subscript here. P0 is the price now. Trying to think of the best way to do this. That's why I was saying I want to model this. Equals Oops, I forgot. Got to put in a rate. Screw that up. Almost. 8.6%. So, let me try this. I'm going to, I'll show you where you encounter a problem with this problem. NPV Okay, I can do it. Rate, comma, this value plus this value, comma, that value. Whoops, I screwed that up. I got to do it the other way, sorry. Comma, that value, B2, comma, that value B3, comma, that value plus that value, close the parenthesis. Now, I, I hope this, it can do the arithmetic in there. Let's see. Yep, $20.09. See, the what I was worried about was that it was going to want me to give an array for the cash flows. You know, B2 colon B4, which would have blown the uh, adding that, uh, that selling price. But it, it allowed me to put them in one at a time. And so I could take that last one and make it the sum of the dividend plus what I sell the stock for. So the value of that security right now as the present value of what I will get in future expected cash flows from it is $20.09. Now, you see, there's a problem with, by the way, doing this as a template because I, it has to, you have to build it for the number of years that the dividends will be accepted before you sell it. That's where the problem is. Now I can put this one in as a template, but you'd have to remember that you'd have to insert rows if you needed additional, uh, if you had additional years of dividends. That's the problem here for making, I can write it as a VBA script easily enough. You just specify, all you'd have to do is specify the number of years and the number of rows would automatically adjust. But I can't do that off the top of my head when I'm teaching at the same time. I probably could, but I'd probably screw it up terribly. 
But that's one of the values of that Excel crash course. You do learn how to write VBA, basic VBA scripts, like one that would create as many columns, uh, as many rows as you want and number them. Okay. So that is how you would find, this is a basic rough crude model. You know the dividends each year and you know when you'll sell the stock and how much you'll sell it for. That's not particularly realistic, but it's a stab. It's one way, it's the first, in, first way we can intrinsically value stock, common stock. What about a longer way? A way that would So in other words, this way, the current price of a stock is going to be the sum from i equals 1 to n, n is the selling year, the selling period or year. of the dividend in year I divided by one plus your discount rate to the I power plus the price of the stock at year N divided by one plus, now this looks fancy but it's not as fancy as it looks, R to the nth power. In other words, the sum of the present values of the individual dividends from the first year to the nth year, and then add on the discounted value at year n of the selling price. That's what I just did there in Excel. That's just the Excel version of that formula right there, where you have n years you hold the stock collecting the dividends, and then in year n, you collect one last dividend and then dump the stock at a price. That's all. That's, it looks kind of fancy, but it's actually not. Summations just give us a compact notation. <sighs> However, that's not the end of the story. The story goes on, but I'm going to take a side step here. And go back, I showed you these perpetuities. This first one is just called a dividend, just a generic dividend model. Now, let's take another one. I'm trying to make this a little bit simpler. The book got really heavy duty on terminology, uh, and I'm trying to make it a little bit more visually obvious with the Excel. But, okay, now. 
the constant growth model. This works on the formula that if the dividend is growing at a constant rate forever, R is the discount rate, G is the constant growth rate. It's going to grow at a constant rate, and I talked about this earlier in the semester, that old companies do this. They grow the dividend at a constant rate. And then D0 is the current dividend. And D1 is just D0 times 1 plus G. In other words, the dividend one period out is just the current dividend growing one year. Now let me show you this one in practice. RLA Corp. Common just paid a $1.80 per share dividend that is expected to grow at a constant rate of 2.5% for the foreseeable future. If these cash flows are discounted at 7.9%, what is the current price of RLA common stock. Let you kind of catch up with me here. Let my let some circulation go back into my arm here. Yeah, back in the day, giant blackboards with chalk writing this at the end of every lecture. I was, I walked in wearing black clothes, I walked out wearing white clothes. Ah, uh, God.
Once you get past that, this is an easy problem, writing the stupid problem out. Look, just use it. The current price will be the current dividend, 1.80, $1.80, times 1 plus the growth rate, parenthesis, 1 plus 0 0.025, over the discount rate, 0 0.079, minus 0 0.025. This is almost too lightweight for Excel, but Lord knows I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, let's try this. Discount rate, discount, discount rate, growth rate. Is there anything else? Oh, current dividend. So, the current price, P0, put my stupid little subscript on it. would be equal to D0 times 1 plus the growth rate. Oh, let's try to put those in, okay? 7.9% <laughs> Two point five percent and the current dividend of a dollar whoops a dollar eighty. Okay, so now P zero is going to be equal to the current dividend times one plus the growth rate divided by open parenthesis, don't forget the parenthesis in the denominator the discount rate minus the growth rate. Close the parenthesis, $34.17. That's the intrinsic value of it. Let me add a little bit right here. I'm going to put this up. Kind of take it sort of as a template, especially for, a constant, for the constant growth dividend model. This, is a, this template is just fine. Okay, so the discount rate would be the R sub S. Growth rate would be G. Whoops, let me do something here. Go back and put the subscript in here, just so it's consistent with the book's notation. <coughs> and that would be the 
g there and that would be the d sub 0 d sub 0 and like I said I'll upload this for you format the cells subscript okay there you go so I mean so if you got a constant growth rate problem this is how you would do it just the only place where you can make a mistake is for getting those parentheses in the denominator to trap that so that it's the result of the discount rate minus the growth rate. But other than that, that's all there is to it. Let me take out that line right there. Uh, delete. And now I'm going to call that sheet constant growth rate model. Okay, now that's all there is to that. The last one is truly something to behold. It is, in its pieces, it's not complicated, but it's a combination of one and two, where you have a company that pays an unsteady dividend for a period of years before it stabilizes and starts paying a constant dividend somewhere down the road. And I'm just going to draw you one of these. So two, just to do that, P0 is just D0 times 1 plus G over R sub S. Now three is called the horizon. Value model. And I'm just going to draw you what it would look like, the cash flow. You have, right now, there's a dividend out here. There's a dividend. And then you have a dividend of some other amount here, a dividend at one, another dividend up or down, maybe even zero at two, a dividend at year three, and maybe a dividend, let's say, let's take it out four years, dividend at year four. But at year four, the from there on, it starts growing at a constant rate. So D5 is just D4 times 1 plus G. And then ever after that, it's on a constant growth perpetuity, forever after that.
This is a more realistic one. A lot of companies start off paying odd or even no dividend year to year, but somewhere along the line, and they sometimes will, will tell, we anticipate that the dividend will stabilize in year seven, year four, year five, something like that. So, what happens is that the value of the company right here, we can calculate it. It's called the horizon value. It is going to be the stock price at year four of the perpetuity forever after that. So in other words, the price at year four is nothing but dividend four times one plus G over R sub S minus G. Bear with me. Let me do one in Excel. Let me show you one. And this one is the horizon value model. <laughs> value model. Let me take it up. Okay, we're going to have year. One, and I'll do four years. Two, three, four, five. And let's say that there is a discount rate of, oh, I don't know, let's say 8.2%. Discount. Discount. And let's say that the growth rate, once it stabilizes, is let's say 2.25%. The dividends after that year four are going to grow at 2.25% for the foreseeable future. Okay, let's see. Suppose that, well, actually, I need to put in a year. I don't need to put in a year zero because we're going to get the stock. We assume we get the stock right after the dividend is paid. So the next dividend we'll get is, let's say, a dollar sixty-five Then the company gets generous and it pays a dividend the next year of $2. Let's say in year three it doesn't pay anything. And then in year four 
it pays, let's say, a dollar ninety. But that is the horizon right there. So the dividend the next year would be equal to D4 times 1 plus the growth rate. So why the only reason I'm doing year 5 is because Why do I keep doing that? I can get the horizon value. The horizon value will be D5, 1 plus G, divided by R minus G. <laughs> Try that again. R minus G. This is too much like work. P0. It's going to be the present value the rate comma all of those whoops no I don't want to do that I want to do that one that one that one that one no that one plus that one come on Bull crap, my ass. Let's try that again. Equals the present value of I want the rate. Comma. No, I, I, I see what I'm doing wrong. NPV equals NPV. NPV, open parenthesis, rate, comma, value 1, comma, value 2, comma, value 3, comma, value 4, which is the dividend plus the sell price at the horizon. There. $28.44. That was too much like work. I'm going to do it again. 
So you have two examples. And now I'm going to do it again. I didn't do that right. I want to do horizon value. This one is example one. And now I'm going to do another one with more years. this bigger. Okay, so year, dividend, um, horizon, value. God, why do I do that? Do it again. You're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Discount rate, growth rate. Okay, so the dividend. Say in Let's see what I did here. The dividend in year one is, let's say, 85 cents Then the dividend is, oh, I don't know, a dollar five. Then the dividend is a dollar. 40, then the dividend drops back to a dollar 15, and then year five, it's a dollar 35. Year six, it's a dollar 50. Year seven, it's a dollar 45. So the horizon is right here at year seven. So we're going to calculate the dividend one period further out equals that times one plus, I didn't put my discount rate in or my growth rate. Let's say 7.4% 
and a growth rate of 1.75%. So the value here will be equal to the dividend times, open parenthesis, 1 plus 1. Try this again. Times 1 plus the growth rate. So the dividend in year eight, now that it is growing at a constant rate, will be 1.75% more than the, than the dividend in year seven. And that's all we need to get the horizon value. The horizon value will be equal to the dividend in year eight divided by the discount rate, open parenthesis, discount rate, minus the growth rate. Close the parenthesis. So what we're saying is that the price of the stock in year seven will be $26.11, given that forever after that, it is a constant growth rate dividend. So now I should be able to calculate the current price of the dividend, the current price of the stock. <laughs> yeah. It should be equal to the NPV open parenthesis, you put the discount rate first, then comma, first year dividend, comma, second year dividend, comma, third year dividend, comma, fourth year dividend, comma, fifth year dividend, comma, sixth year dividend, comma, the seventh year dividend, plus the horizon value, which has to be discounted back too. Close the parenthesis, $22.34. If you can get through the little coding that I'm doing here, you can modify it for any number of years you want. Yeah. Yep, sorry about that. I, I always forget to do that, put it back on that. All I'm doing is the NPV, first you put in the discount rate, and then just one after the other, the dividends. At the last year, at the horizon, not year eight, at the horizon, which is seven, I take in, which is B8 here, I take the dividend, $1.45, plus the price at that year. Go. Okay, this one. Hang on. That's just the constant growth rate formula right there. The constant, the price at year seven will be the dividend at year eight divided by R minus, uh, uh, R minus G. 
and the dividend at year eight is just the dividend at year seven times one plus g. You have to put it together. It's like a little bit of a puzzle, but I can assure you that it is a lot faster than taking each one of those and finding its present value on its own. And then the seventh year, you have to get the horizon value and then take the present value of the dividend at year seven plus the horizon value, get the present value of that, add all of those up. You can do it. I mean, Excel would be a little faster than your normal way of doing it, but it would still be a pain in the ass. If you can master this formula, and like I said, I'm going to put this up, it's sort of like a semi-template because you have to put in the right number of years for the, te for the template to work. That's the only thing you have to watch out for in this. But if you can master that, honestly, back before we used Excel, I used Excel in this course. On a quiz, I mean, I might get 20% of the people got it right. Since I've been using Excel, I've gotten that up, the rate is up to about a lot more than 80% get it right. And even though the Excel looks kind of complicated, it's not that bad, especially when you look at the numbers on before and after we started, I started using Excel for this. And I do it every year from scratch so you can see me work my way through the formula instead of just putting it up there and saying, here it is. That was a lot like work. And that's all I have for you today. I thank you.